This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. I want to lead us today by opening up with a passage of scripture that is really foundational for us as a church, as a courageous people living in the earth today. And it's Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, you can go there. And as you're turning there, I'll set this up. Years ago, Candace and I were led to this passage of scripture, and it made a really big impression on us, a lasting impression on us, so much so that when we began to pray about the calling we'd received to come and plant Courageous Church, we knew this was going to play a critical role and foundation in what God was calling us to do and be about. And I'd like to read it to you because I believe it's essential to the vision that God has given us as a church. Beginning in verse 1, Arise, shine, For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Verse 2, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But, and here's the key part, the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. As a church, we believe that God has given us this mandate what I'm going to call a prophetic picture for who he's calling us to become. A courageous people living in the earth that know how to arise and shine light. In verse 2, it tells us that darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. Let me tell you, all over this valley broods a type of darkness. Have you noticed it? (laughs) If you've been here at all, you've noticed it. And I, and I wonder if you felt its push and its pull upon your own soul, if you felt its sway. What about for your family and those you love, those that you work with? Have you seen it play out there? I want to stand before you today, not just to encourage you, but to help you turn on some light. Because I believe that as the people of God, it's not enough for us to point out darkness and to just rally and make a big hoopla about what the enemy's up to. But it's our job as the people of God to arise and to shine. So today I want to talk about how we as the people of God can turn on the light. Isaiah goes on to assure us, and and he's talking to Israel, but this is really for the people of God. It's actually a prophetic picture for the church. He says, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Nations will come. Nations. Interesting. And kings will come to the brightness of your rising. Kings. Interesting. You see, I believe that we have a missional responsibility to shine light But I also believe that that light is very attractive. It carries with it its own kind of influence, so much so that people are going to be drawn to it, so much so that the nations of the earth will be drawn to it. Now, he's he's telling this to Israel, but I believe as the church, it, it still applies. As the people of God, we have been called out of darkness, and we have been brought into his kingdom of light. So that, there's a purpose, so that we can show forth or declare the excellencies or the praises of God. Meaning that when you and I have been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness, out of destruction and depression and despair and oppression and everything that the enemy wants to keep us bound up in, and we're transferred into, we're adopted into God's family, hallelujah, because of the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross, we're brought into his family, this kingdom of marvelous light, so that you and I can shine forth light. And how do we do that? We do that with our praise. I told our team this morning that, that the Bible tells us to put on praise like a garment. 
for the spirit of heaviness. How many know that darkness that covers the earth, that thick darkness that covers people is, is a heavy darkness? And so our mission and our strategy is very simple. It's to put on praise. It's to be a people that know how to praise God. And, and what does that look like? It's testifying of who God is in your life. It's giving God praise and glory for what he's done for you. It's telling your story to other people. It's not being afraid of what man might say, do, or think. It's not being afraid of the change that comes or of failing at something, but it's stepping out in faith, in boldness and courage to say, this is how God has made a difference in my life. And when you take the opportunity to do that, you turn on the light for others. Because many people are stumbling around, fumbling around trying to find the light switch. They just don't know where it is. And you and I are called to be hosts, escorts, ushers, guides. And we say, come, let me show you where the light switch is. And let me help you turn that on in your life. And it's amazing what'll happen if you and I just step out of our comfort zone and be willing to tell our story to other people. It doesn't have to be a perfect story. How many know none of our stories are perfect? There's only one man whose story was perfect and his name is Jesus. The rest of us are a big walking mess. But here's the good news. God knows how to take your mess and turn it into your message. Because we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Amen. And so today, as a, as a setup for what we're going to talk about, I believe that we have this vision that God has given us, this prophetic picture of what we're becoming in Christ, a people that know how to arise and shine. Did you notice that that was given to the church and not given to the world? Some of us are mad at other people or family or those that aren't in Christ, but they haven't been given that mandate. We've been given that mandate all throughout scripture, God comes to the people of God and says, if you'll repent, come on, if you'll change your ways, if you'll arise and shine, if you'll come back to me, I'll bless you. And not only will I bless you, but I'll bless your nation. I'll, I'll bless the people around you. That's how good God is, is that he's not even content enough for it to just stop with us. He wants to see it fall on the wicked too. How many know the rain falls on the righteous and the wicked? The light that you shine is not just for you. It's for the people around you so that God can, through you, bless them. That was the calling of Israel. It was to be a what? A light to the Gentiles. It was to take that light, the covenant that they had with them, the, the knowledge of who he was, this intimate relationship they had with God because he had chosen them, and to bring that light to other people. And see, I believe for the church, the mandate is the same. We've been grafted in. And we have been given the same mandate to bring this light to the dark places of the earth. And how many know that there's enough darkness all around us? We don't have to go very far. We don't have to cross over a mission field to get to a mission field. Come on. The, the Bible says that we, as the people of God, if we would arise and shine, we would see his glory risen upon us. So I believe the promises of God for us and for this church is that when you and I, not just me, but when you and I, Arise and shine, we're going to see his glory. Many people are searching for the glory of God. Where is it? Where'd it go? You know where it is? It's when you and I step up, arise, wake up, and shine. People say that they'll see your good works, they'll see your light, and glorify your Father in heaven. They'll give glory to God, and they'll see the glory of God because it'll be risen upon everything that you do. 
And so I believe that's the prophetic picture for us as a church. It's to awaken the heart of every believer and every person who responds to the name, work, and ministry of Jesus. To take that mandate personally, because we're all the priesthood of believers. It's not enough just for Pastor Jason to rise and shine, for Pastor Jim and for granted Joe and, and for, for, the, for the few. It's for all of us because we've all been chosen, the Bible says. You are a royal priesthood, chosen by God, set apart with a particular purpose that God has given you. And here it is, arise and shine. And when we do, we know, we know that we don't have to fear darkness. And so the title of the message today is this, do not fear the darkness. I don't believe God wants us to give it any place within our lives. So how do we do that? What steps can we take? Today, we're going to look at just a couple of ways that I believe God wants us to be well-equipped and empowered to do so. So here's the big idea. Are you ready for it? We need to know our enemy and how he works. First Peter chapter five, verse eight in the ESV tells us this, be sober-minded and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to destroy or to devour. The scriptures tell us that the enemy, the devil, is an adversary. And the term used here for adversary is antitikos, which is a legal term used in the courts back then for an opponent who brings a lawsuit. Isn't that interesting? The enemy has brought a lawsuit against the people of God. And we see his name later, the more formal name given to the devil, Satan or Satan in the Greek. And it literally means the one who brings accusation or the accuser. So you see how those two work together? The accuser who brings accusation against you and against me and against the world also has brought a lawsuit against us. And he's opposing us as a legal opponent in the high courts of heaven. We're going to get into this in just a second. All throughout the scriptures, and particularly in the book of Job, we are given a picture of the devil coming before the high courts of heaven, coming before the council of God to bring accusation against God's people. He does it with Job. He does it with others. And that's what he does day and night. He's an accuser. He's bringing accusation against us. He's the accuser of the brethren, one translation says. And I believe his primary strategy is to accuse you because his goal is to destroy you. I'll say it again. His primary strategy is to accuse you because his primary goal is to destroy you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to be deceived. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the way the enemy works. And so today we're going to look at who he is and how he works so that we can overcome this present darkness. And Peter here in chapter 5, verse 8, Peter's coming to the church to ring our bell. He's saying, wake up, be sober-minded, be vigilant, be watchful, guard your thoughts, guard your eyes, because the adversary is coming to you like a lion, looking for an opportunity, looking for an open door, looking for a way to devour you. The word devour here is katapino, which means to swallow up and destroy. It's to like utterly put to waste. And that's his goal, to steal from, to kill, and to destroy you. So how does he do that? Exactly. How does he like to work within our lives? He loves to obviously accuse you of your past. He loves to bring it up. 
He loves to tell you and remind you of the things that you used to do or the stuff that you used to be caught up in or the shame or the guilt or the condemnation that is with our past. And he wants us to remain stuck there. So if you find yourself thinking a lot of thoughts about your past and about mistakes you've made, about uh, the things that you used to go through, it could be that you're experiencing this kind of attack. And here's the key. I believe God gives us keys. And here's one of them. It's to look to Jesus to be your righteousness and your justification. If you look to Jesus, then this legal claim that the enemy likes to bring, this case and this lawsuit that he likes to bring against us, will not have any bearing on you, praise God. If God has forgiven you, the real question is then, when are you going to start forgiving you? See, sometimes we like to blame the enemy for stuff that he's not involved in. But I do believe this as a, as a people, that the enemy likes to work in and through unforgiveness in our life. He looks for open doors, and I think that if we're not careful, unforgiveness can be an open door that allows him to come in and bring accusation against us. Listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. He says, anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. Verse 11, here's the key. So that, here's the purpose of it, we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. Some translations say schemes. It's interesting that the purpose of forgiveness in this particular passage and the way that Paul is illustrating it is being paired with not being outwitted by Satan, not being outwitted by this enemy, this adversary. It's almost as if Paul knows that one of our best weapons against the tactics of the enemy is actually forgiveness. And so if God has forgiven you, the next question is, then when are you going to start forgiving others? And Paul is trying to direct the church to not only get on with forgiving themselves, because how many know sometimes we're our own worst enemy, but to get on with the business of extending forgiveness and mercy to other people. I believe that forgiving others closes the door to the enemy working in our lives. And it allows us to be, like Paul says here, not ignorant of his designs, not ignorant of the way the enemy wants to work. See, God doesn't want you and I to be ignorant. Some people think ignorance is bliss. But the truth is ignorance can be a trap. It can trap you and ensnare you in deception and in, and in, in allowing an open door for the enemy to come in and to work in and in through our life. And he wants to do that through unforgiveness. He wants to do that by bringing up and recalling the past. He wants to do that by bringing shame. What are some other schemes that the enemy likes to use against us? In addition to bringing accusation and promoting unforgiveness, devil loves to use your weaknesses against you. How many of you know that you have strengths and you have weaknesses? Amen? The truth is, if you're a human being and you're living in the earth today, you have weaknesses. And today I want to call these weaknesses pressure points. They're areas in our life that are particularly sensitive to touch. Maybe you were a kid and you wrestled and uh, someone all of a sudden put pressure on your jugular or pressed on a particular pressure point, but it hurts. <laughs> it hurts because it's sensitive. It's a sensitive area on your body. And I believe that weaknesses are like that in our life. They're sensitive areas 
that the enemy seeks to exploit. He wants to apply pressure there because he knows if he does, you'll cave. Ah! The scriptures tell us God doesn't want us to be ignorant of the way that he works so that we know what to do with our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. Bible says that in our weakness, God actually can become stronger. That's the good news is that in our weakness, Jesus himself, having been a man who's walked in your shoes and in my shoes, knows what it's like to have this body, to have temptation, to have everything that the world can throw at us. He knows exactly what it's like to be human. So he's well acquainted with what you and I suffer with where you and I are vulnerable. And that's why he doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to be informed and equipped and empowered so that we can overcome. So if you were abused, oh, that's a hard one. Or you were abandoned, that's another hard one. The enemy will go right to that pressure point and he'll apply pressure. He knows you're already sensitive there. Maybe you were exposed to things at a young age that you shouldn't have been exposed to. Chances are the enemy will go there too, and he'll apply pressure. He knows how to exploit our weaknesses. Therefore, we need to, as the people of God, learn how to clothe ourselves with his righteousness. Know how to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and protect our weaknesses and our pressure points by putting on God's full armor. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 13 says this, Finally, This is Paul's prayer and and writing to the church at Ephesus. Finally, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you, that you, the people of God, may be able to stand against the schemes. There they are again, of the devil. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up, he says it again, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, I believe that God wants us to be able to stand firm in this reality. And we need to put on his armor, not just one or two pieces of it, but all of it. And what is it? Paul goes on to tell us, and I'll paraphrase it for us today. It's his righteousness. It's his truth. It's his gospel of peace. It's faith. It's salvation. It's the word of God and it's prayer in the spirit. Did you notice that every single one of those pieces of armor are gifts of God. None of them originate within you. And I think this is key for us to understand. Because God knows that we have weaknesses, areas of sensitivity, pressure points, he knows that in order to properly clothe those and guard those and to keep those, he has to give us armor for each and every area of our life. And this isn't just physical. It's spiritual, but it's also emotional. How many know that God wants to clothe us emotionally? A lot of our pressure points aren't just things that we wrestle with physically. It's emotional weakness. 
It's mental health. It's all-encompassing because God designed us to be holistic creatures, interconnected. One area of your spirituality will affect the other areas of your life. And we think sometimes that if we can just kind of compartmentalize this, well, I got my gym life, so I'm working on my body and I'm, I'm feeling fit, man. I go to CrossFit and I got my score up on the board and I'm just glorying in the fact that I'm strong and fit. Hallelujah, but how's your spiritual life? Maybe some of you got your nose in the scriptures every day and your spiritual life is amazing and you just, you and God, man, you're just, you're just walking the garden together in the cool of the day. How's your emotional life? How are your thoughts? How are your feelings? See, I believe that in this day and age, God is calling us as the church to not just talk about the realities of the spirit, but to talk about the realities that encompass every single thing that we touch. See, you're, you don't just have a soul, you are a soul. You don't just have a spirit, you are a spirit. And those things are intertwined. When God formed man from the dust, he breathed into him a life-giving spirit. He animated him. He brought him to life. And as a result, everything that that spirit touches will have influence. And consequently, everything that the spirit of the world touches will also have its own kind of influence. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God. Paul tells us not just some, but all of it. Clothe your mind with salvation. Let God begin to redeem your thoughts. I, I said last week in the message about the fear of failure, that the battlefield is actually the mind. Scriptures tell us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, meaning that God doesn't just want to save your soul. He wants to save your mind too. He wants to redeem your thoughts because your thoughts are going to define everything about you. The way that you think about yourself, Proverbs says, as a person thinks about themselves, so they are. And so your thought life, your inner thought life, the way that you think about others, it's all interconnected, and God wants to redeem that. He wants to renew that. He wants to bring salvation to your mind. So he says, put it on. Clothe your chest with righteousness. Encapsulate yourself in his righteousness. The scriptures tell us that we now, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, are the righteousness of God in Christ. So he wants us to be encapsulated and secure in who he has called us to be in the work of the cross, hallelujah, in what Jesus has done that you and I can never earn, merit, or deserve. It's a free gift that we receive, but when we receive it, we embrace it. We don't cast it aside, leave it in the corner. Well, maybe every now and then I, when I feel righteous, come on, that's not the way it works. God says you are righteous because of the blood of Jesus that was sprinkled over the altar, over the mercy seat, you, once and for all, have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not just on your good days. Husbands, not just on your good days. Wives, not just on your good days. Come on, we need to remember this when we're fighting and quarreling with one another. Come on, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's not just about behavior modification. It's about understanding that you and I walk from a total different position because of what Jesus Christ has rooted us now in. We've been anchored to something that will never change and that will never, ever go away, the love of Christ. And because you and I are anchored in that reality, we can stand affirmed in salvation, clothed in righteousness, hoisted up by truth. 
brought together in truth, the belt of truth. We need truth in our life. I read an article a couple weeks ago by a pastor in Northern California who said, you know, 20, 30 years ago, the challenge for the church was that we were trying to preach grace to a truth-based generation. The challenge for this church in this age is that we're trying to bring truth to a grace-based generation. We need both. See, I don't believe in the false dichotomy between one over the other. It's truth and love. It's truth and grace. Jesus was full of truth and grace. And so as a people who are now in Christ Jesus, whose life is hidden away with him in the heavenly places, who draw our life source from him and who he now calls us to be as his righteousness, you and I, get this, you and I can now embody truth and grace. And so wherever we go, the truth, the declaration of what God says and how he thinks about us should be clothed in love because that's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't shy away from speaking the truth, especially when it was hard and was difficult. And for some of us, we were like, I don't know, you know, I don't want to be confrontational. I don't want to say anything to hurt anybody's feelings. You know, I don't want to disrupt anything. Jesus had no problem disrupting, but he did so not according to the flesh. He did so according to the spirit and he was able to walk in love and he was able to extend forgiveness and mercy. He was able to say, where are your accusers? But also in the same breath, go and sin no more. He was able to speak to the heart condition of every woman, child, and man because he embodied what he's now calling us to embody, which is to be a people clothed in righteousness with salvation as our crown, encapsulated by truth so that you and I can stand with the boots of this gospel of peace, to have our feet covered in it so that everywhere we go, we bring good news. The goal for this church is to be a people rooted in and standing in good news. It's one of our core values. And we talk a lot about it, about being a people rooted in the gospel. What does that mean? The gospel. We get the word gospel from the term evangelion, which literally means to proclaim or herald good news. It means to announce something that is good. And that's what this church is called to do in this community and beyond. It's to announce the good things of God that have come to us, that we have been given access to as his children, as his sons and daughters. And then lastly, it's to take up our shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. It's to be a people of faith. God is pleased by faith. In fact, Hebrews says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. What is faith? It's trust in motion. It's being willing to step out on what it is that you profess to believe. It's not enough to just, just think the thought yeah, mentally I assent to the idea that Jesus is Lord, but now how am I willing to come under his lordship? Yes, I mentally assent to the idea that we should be a people that arise and shine and bring good news, but now I actually step out to do it. Faith is action. It's not just this defensive posture that we take against the, the, the darts and the fiery arrows of the enemy, but it's also something you and I are called to live in 24-7 so that when the sword of the spirit is brought out of its sheath, Come on, the word of God, when it's done so, it's done so from a place and a posture of faith because we are called to declare something even when we don't see it. Scriptures say that you and I are called to walk by faith and not by 
sight. And then lastly, in this part, I don't know why it doesn't get enough emphasis, but to pray in the spirit always. Why don't we ever talk about that? We're like, we got the little armor guy. I remember being a kid and having like the, uh, the little helmet, little breastplate, little sword thing. But I'm like, what about the prayer in the spirit part? Where's that? It's like a javelin or something. We got to like chuck it out there. Like, where is that? But it's interesting to me that after all of those things, Paul says, there's actually one more thing that I think you need to do to come against this present darkness and not be a person of fear. It's to pray in the spirit, to pray in the spirit. You know, the Bible says that we're called to worship in the spirit and in truth. But it also says here that we're called to pray in the spirit and to do so always. I think for some of us, we've made prayer so difficult or so lofty, we've we've made it so hard to attain to that we seldom do it. And Paul says, that's not really how I want you to think about prayer. I want prayer to be part of your spirit life, a part of how the Holy Spirit is moving and working in you so that your conversation with God and your intercessions and your thoughts and the things that you bring before Jesus are a part of what you do always, each and every day. God invites us into a life of prayer so that all of these things, all these gifts can be bathed in the goodness and the power of an ongoing relationship with God through prayer. I believe prayer is powerful. I believe in the efficacy of prayer in this church. We believe in it so much. We're so passionate about it that we believe we could just get people to pray. Come on. We wouldn't have to do a whole lot of other stuff. (laughs) If the church could just rediscover her voice and recognize this, that we're called to do all those things, but also to pray in the spirit, meaning that it's not enough just for us to offer human words. The Bible says God actually already knows what you need. Most of us, that's our prayer life. God, I need this. God, help me with this. God, will you do this? And we don't actually get to the place that he wants us to be where we're being trained in righteousness to know how to partner with heaven to accomplish the purposes of the kingdom here on earth. Because see, I believe prayer is ultimately a weapon that God gives us, but it's also partnership. When I'm praying, I'm not just speaking, I'm listening. I'm listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to say and do. And I'm getting wisdom and I'm getting insight as to how God thinks about that person or that situation before I act so that in all things I can be led of the Spirit of God. So praying in the Spirit is just the, the manifestation of how we do that. You know, and whether if you're charismatic, that might be chucking in some tongues, maybe throwing a little prophetic word. If you're not, it might be just learning how to sit with the scriptures and allowing the word of God to speak into your prayer life and to inform that. Let's demystify that. It's not you offering these high priestly prayers. Oh, forever thou maker of the stars and the heavens, would thou come down and... No, it's just, it's knowing who you are in Christ so that as God's spirit, which now is in you, is moving and prompting and stirring, you know how to then yield to that and manifest that wherever God is. It's actually what I believe the text actually shows us. It's allowing the spirit to pray through you. We're over here and God's trying to get us over here because he knows that if we can grow up in the faith, if we can mature, if we can become informed, not remain in ignorance, not remain in darkness, but come into his light where he doesn't want to withhold any of these things. 
he doesn't want to hold these things back. He wants us to know how to have them and access them and use them in our life so that we can be effective against the schemes of our adversary, the enemy. And that should give us a little bit of hope. So ultimately, and I believe this, understanding what Jesus has done for us and what he gives us is the greatest stand that we can take against this present darkness. I think this is exactly what Paul is saying when he says, having done all of this, stand firm. Because our standing firm is based on what we are standing on. And that, my friends, is Christ, the solid rock. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 in the NLT reminds us of this. It says this, you have come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. And... You've come to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. I believe Jesus is our great mediator. He's our champion. He's our victor. And his blood is our victory. Where the devil is your opponent and adversary, Jesus is your proponent and advocate, meaning that he's for you. Yes, God is for you. So when the darkness tries to come at you, how many know it's going to come? And when the devil tries to stir up fear and controversy among you, he's been trying to do that lately. And when he brings panic and worry and anxiety to your doorstep in the middle of the night, and he tries to remind you of your past, you need to remind him of his future. And be confident that every legal claim and lawsuit that he tries to bring against you has been canceled once and for all by the blood of Jesus, which now speaks a better word over you and over me. You need to arise and shine and to declare out loud, I am now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My sins have been forgiven. He remembers them no more. I'm a new creation in him. I'm no longer bound by fear. If God is with me, who can be against me? If my God is for me, who then shall I fear? Not man. Not the unknown, not uncertainty, not change, not failure, and certainly not the darkness. People of God, do not fear the darkness. Do not fear the darkness. And I will close with this. Have nothing to do with it either. At Courageous Church, we believe God has called us to promote a life and a culture of faith and not a life and culture of fear. The scriptures actually command us to not have anything to do with the darkness. Ephesians 5.11 says this, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Don't entertain it. Don't even let it into your life. Instead, expose it. Be a person of God that knows how to expose darkness wherever he's placed you. Don't entertain it. Don't take a soft stance toward it. Get aggressive. Get offensive. Get on the attack against it. You know why? Because there are people just waiting for you and I to walk into their prison and to take them by the hand and say, follow me to freedom. And how can you and I do that if we just sit back on the couch and binge watch Netflix and let this garbage into our lives? I'm not here to judge anybody. Listen, I'm preaching to myself. But the reality is that for too long, we as a people have taken a defensive posture. Ah, ah, I'm attacked, I'm hurt. Oh, the enemy's got me. Ah, 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 ah. And when are we as the people of God gonna get on the offensive and say, no, 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 we've been called to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand strong against the darkness, so that we can penetrate the darkness with light, so that we can arise and shine and declare the praises of our God to people who are in darkness, who are just waiting, fumbling around, waiting for someone to grab them by the hand and take them 
into his beautiful family of light, into this kingdom that we have received, not of this earth, but of the heavens that Jesus came to inaugurate and initiate and expand in and through our hearts, through righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, so that you and I can be his witnesses, so that everywhere we go, we bring light. And I don't know about you, but the light doesn't stop because the darkness says no. Come on, when you turn that light switch on in a room, the darkness isn't like, nope. Immediately, it invades, it saturates, it expands. I love the Genesis story. I love how in the beginning, God spoke forth light. And it says the spirit was just hovering, and just brooding over the darkness of the waters. And light brought forth life. See, I believe in our light is the life of God. And there is a people all around us, and maybe you're here today, immersed in death, immersed in a culture that celebrates darkness, that celebrates death. But you and I have been called to be the people of light. And in that light, the Bible says in John, that in that light, there was no darkness. The darkness could not overcome it because that light is the light of Jesus. And that light is a light that you and I have a mandate to take everywhere we go so that we can be the people that turn on the light for others. And I believe that that is a chief priority and a chief mandate of the church in this hour, that we would not cower in fear. Oh, it's gonna get darker. Oh, it's gonna get scarier. Oh, things are going to get crazier. Come on. We have the light of heaven in us. We are the people of God. And no matter how dark it gets or it seems or it appears, the darkness cannot overcome and contend with the light. And so do not fear the darkness. Thank you for listening today. To find out more information about our church, including ways you can give, please visit us at courageouschurch.com. 